This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. For those of you who are guests, again, I want to welcome you. My name is Ian, one of the pastors here at Christ Church. And last Sunday was my first Sunday back after a three-month sabbatical after serving Jesus in gospel ministry for just about 20 years. The Lord provided a space for my family and I to get some time to rest and recalibrate. And let me just tell you, we are recharged and ready to come back and serve you in Jesus' name. And so it is a great privilege and delight. So I get to preach God's word to you this morning and to continue our, our new series on sacred rest. And so with that in view, I want to ask you to take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 11. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 in just a moment. But just to give you a little bit more um, info about myself and, and who I am and what I like. You've, you've probably heard, I've heard, actually had someone in the first service come to me and say, hey, whenever you preach, you, you seem to give illustrations from like Tolkien novels and Lord of the Rings and things like that. Well, I love fantasy fiction, but not just older fantasy fiction. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. When I was a kid, I mean, we read, I mean, I like collected comics, read comics, loved comics, and we used to talk, I remember when we were in junior high, oh, it'd be so cool if they could turn these comics into live action movies. Well, I had to wait 30 years, but now they're out there and they're amazing. If you haven't seen Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, that's a good place to start if you haven't seen anything yet. But one of my favorite parts of the, of the, of the Marvel Universe films are the end credit scenes. So if you, if you know the Marvel movies, you know that when the movie's over, it's not really over yet. After the credits roll down, there's usually like a 30-second clip at the end of the credits that kind of gives you a little window into a more nuanced detail of the film or connects that film with another story in the MCU or just kind of gives a little comic relief. One of my favorite end credit scenes comes at the end of the first Avengers movie. After the Avengers triumphantly defeat Loki and the Chitauri Warriors, you would expect these superheroes to be high-fiving and, and, and hearing the cheering crowd say, way to go, you saved us, but no. We get this 30-second realistic scene of the original six Avengers all sitting around a cafe table, absolutely exhausted, eating shawarma. It's, it's a realistic scene. They're not reliving the battle. They're not high-fiving one another. They're absolutely tanked. And the only thing you hear is the awkward sound of them chewing their food. They were absolutely tanked. And those heroes needed one thing and one thing only, and it pictured it so well. They needed rest and replenishment. What's pictured there in that end credit scene, I believe, is a picture of what's happening right here, right now. That shawarma scene is a picture of our weekly Sabbath. After an exhausting and depleting week of living life in this sin-cursed, broken world, we don't come together giving high fives, talking about how we crushed the week. At least I didn't see that. We've come together worn out 
depleted, running on fumes, and in desperate need of rest and replenishment. You may not have been heroically saving the world this week unless you're a mother of young children, okay? You're a hero. But you've worked. You've poured yourself out. You've expended a lot of energy. And you've come together with us this morning physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, vocationally, and spiritually drained. We're all here this morning, and we're experiencing various degrees of weariness. And part of what we're doing here this morning is seeking rest and replenishment in a place and under circumstances where we won't be able to find it anywhere else. Anybody feeling weary this morning? I've got good news for you. Jesus wants to give you rest. I direct your attention now to Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Let us hear the word of God. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That is God's word. May he have his blessing to his reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I want us to consider how these words from Christ direct our attention to both a compassionate invitation and a clarifying instruction concerning the need that we all have for sacred rest and replenishment. First, a compassionate invitation. Notice verse 28 again. It bears repeating. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice first what this invitation is not. It is not an invitation to pursue rest. It's not an invitation to take it easy. It's not an invitation to prioritize self-care, self-help, or to create some more space for me time. Rest is critical. And we need it. And we got to get it. But that's not what we're being invited to pursue. Rest is not found in pursuing rest. This is just one of many paradoxical realities about the kingdom of God. Rest is not found in pursuing rest. But notice what the invitation is. Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me. The invitation is come to Christ. The invitation is to seek the Savior. The invitation is to run to the Redeemer. Why? Because the rest that we need most 
is not simply found in restful activities. The rest we need most is not found simply in the cessation from physical work. It's a rest for the soul. It's an inner rest. It's a slowing down of the gears inside you. It's the quieting of the voice within that's constantly telling you to go, get, achieve, accomplish. It's rest for the part of you that's most needy, yet least seen. It's rest for the soul. Now, we need rest for our bodies. But Jesus is saying here that rest would be incomplete if it does not involve a resting of your soul. Rest must be holistic, body and soul, physical and material. Therefore, according to this compassionate invitation from the one who knows you best and knows what you need most, this compassionate invitation is to find rest for your soul from the lover of your soul, the creator of your soul, the savior of your soul, the one who knows the real you, knows what you really need. And here is a compassionate invitation. Rest is not found in pursuing rest. Church, rest is found in pursuing Christ. Now, notice to whom this invitation is extended. See if you fit in this group. All who labor and are heavy laden. The word labor comes from a root word that actually means to take a beating. It's a colorful word that describes the, the external and internal weariness that comes from a, 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 a strong exertion of energy and effort. In general, it describes what it feels like on the other side of putting forth a lot of work. It, it describes the depletion and the drain that's experienced by using or exerting much energy and effort. That's why I believe a better translation of this word labor is actually the word weary. Because it's, it's, it's describing how you feel after you've done a lot of work. And then there are the words heavy laden. This is just one word in the original language and it evokes the imagery of a ship that's docked at the port and it's being loaded with cargo. And as the cargo continues to be put on the ship, the ship begins to sink down into the water more deeply as a result of the weight of the cargo. And the idea here is in life, sometimes we just carry a lot of freight that sinks us down and brings us low. So, putting these ideas together of, of those who labor and are heavy laden. This is talking about, this, this invitation is extended to all those who are worn out, beat up, weighed down, and exhausted by the demands of life. Does that describe anybody here this morning? Do you feel worn out, beat up, weighed down, and exhausted by the demands of life? This is all of us here this morning. 
to one degree or another, every single one of us are among those who are weary and heavy laden. I mean, just think about work this past week. Did work wear you out, weigh you down, beat you up, and make you feel exhausted? Right? I mean, work. I mean, it's the weekend, Ian. Please don't talk about work. Well, this isn't my fault because it's the way it works, right? Even though it's the weekend, we still think about last week's work, what didn't get done, what wasn't accomplished, and the challenges that we now have to look forward to as we walk into Monday. And it all starts over again. And we deal with not only the physical challenges of the work that we are dealing, but the, but the internal demands of the work that we are responsible for. Are we meeting up to the standard? Are we accomplishing all the tasks? Are we doing all the things? Are we pleasing our superiors? Do our coworkers like us? On and on it goes. Work is needed, but let's be honest, it's not very restful, is it? I mean, our jobs are a blessing. They provide for us. They give us resources to, to support God's kingdom cause. They give us context to represent Jesus. But we were told in Genesis chapter 3 that because of sin, we work by the sweat of our brows. Work is hard. Work is demanding. Work is depleting. Always asking for more of us. Always calling us to work harder, achieve higher, be better. So we get worn out. Beat up, weighed down by work. But it's also true for those of you who are in school, right? School wears you out, beats you up, weighs you down. Can I get a witness? I see students here this morning, okay? I mean, it doesn't matter what grade you're in, whether you're in high school or, 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 or college or university or grad school. If you're in school, it's a burden, unless you're in preschool, okay? Coloring, napping, and snacking, man, I wish I had more of that in my life, okay? Right? But no matter what... There's always a paper to write. There's always chapters to read. There's always a test to study for. There's always more work to be done. And then on top of that, you're going to get a grade. You're going to be compared to other students. And you're going to be tempted to think that your value is represented by a grade number or a letter. Or whether you got the scholarship or not. Or the internship or not. I mean, school's a blessing. But it's also a burden, isn't it? It wears us out. It beats us up. It weighs us down. It's exhausting. I mean, maybe I just didn't take my homework as seriously when I was in high school. But our three kids go. Our three kids went to one of the one of the best high schools here in Philly, Science Leadership Academy. And I'm telling you what, I I did not think it was possible to have that many projects and homework to be done in high school. It's crazy. It weighs you down. And then the relationships. I mean, let's be honest. Relationships are a gift from God, right? but they are work. Marriage is work. Parenting is work. Friendship is work. I mean, they are mutually life-giving and they are a blessing, but isn't it true that relationships have, they're, they're, they're take and give. And, they, and, and there's always seems like there's, there's more to do to cultivate relationships. Again, they're a blessing, but they're work. They deplete us. There's always another email to respond to, always a text message that you have to give attention to, always another invitation to a party. You know what? Stop inviting me to parties. I'm tired of them. They drain me. Right now? I mean, parties used to be awesome. I'm 44 years old. I spent the first 40 years of my life as a textbook extrovert. Invite me to the party. I'll be the life of it. I'll eat your food. It'll be great. Now I've been spending the last four years of my life trying to change my personality. Okay? 
Those social contexts are just draining now for me. I don't know what's happening. It's cold age. I get it, right? But relationships are a gift, but they take work. And then you add to that when relationships have tension or conflict or when the kids aren't doing what mom and dad are asking them to do or when the husband or wife are just not, not seeing eye to eye. They drain us. Deplete us. Wear us out. Beat us up, weigh us down, right? And I haven't even touched. I mean, probably the thing that weighs us down the most, that wears us out the most, is our own personal failures and struggles with sin. And the Lord has been clear, his word is clear. But we don't always say what he wants us to say. We don't always act like he wants us to act. We don't always do what he wants us to do. And what does that do? God's given us this gift that also feels like a curse sometimes. It's called a conscience. <laughs> and we feel shame, the guilt, remorse, regret. It weighs us down. And we know that we're forgiven sinners, but man, we still sin. We know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but we still blow it. And we carry that, don't we? weighs us down and it drains us. Here's the invitation. The invitation is if you fit into any of these categories, if you're among those who are weary and weighed down by the demands of life in this fallen world, then Jesus has an invitation for you. Come to me. So let me ask you again. Are there any worn out, beat down, exhausted people in the Lord's house this morning? Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus says, come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. What a compassionate invitation. You don't get rest by pursuing rest. You get rest by pursuing Christ. And when we get him, we find rest for our souls. When you get Christ, you get everything. When you get Christ, you specifically get the rest your body and your soul desperately needs. You get the renewal, the refreshment, the replenishment that only the maker and savior of your soul can offer you. Anything less will not provide the rest that you desperately need. And here's the way the Lord's rest works. We come together on the Lord's day and we pursue the Lord and we encounter Christ. And here's what we find. We find not only rest for our souls, we find replenishment to go out there and do it again. Because we don't come here and retreat and stay here, do we? We go back out. And we need to do Monday through Saturday again. But we do it with renewed vigor, renewed strength that only the Lord can provide. Leon Morris, in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, said, The rest in mind is the rest that enables the worker to go back to the task with renewed vigor. Renewed vigor. 
by the time I get to the end of the week, I am tapped out of vigor. By the time you get to Saturday, okay, let's be honest, by the time you get to Tuesday, you're tapped out of vigor. And we limp our way to Sunday, where we come together on the Lord's Day, and we not only rest from our ordinary work, we come and we relentlessly pursue Jesus. And when we do, we find not just rest for now, but we find renewed vigor to go back out there and do Monday again. Monday does not have to be so manic if Sunday is spent pursuing Christ. And so we come together on the Lord's day and we pursue our Savior. And he gives us exactly what we need to go back out there into our marriages, into our parenting, into our home, into our workplace, into our schools, onto our campuses with renewed strength to bring him glory in all of those places. What a gift. What a compassionate invitation. Church, if you identify among the worn out, beat up, way down and exhausted in Christ, there's one thing you need to do this morning. Accept this compassionate invitation. But there's more. How do we specifically accept the invitation? How do we pursue Christ and find that rest and replenishment that we desperately need? It's yes, we pursue Christ, but, but how? Notice second, a clarifying instruction. Here is how we accept this invitation. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says the way we come to him the way we find rest and replenishment for our souls is by taking his yoke upon us and learning from him. And I believe Jesus here is saying the same thing in two ways, one through a picture and one through a proposition. First, the picture, take my yoke upon you. It's not talking about the yellow part of an egg here, okay? We're not, we're not like the farming community here in Philly, all right? So this is going to take a little, little explanation. A yoke is a piece of farming equipment that we placed over the neck of a farming animal to keep it under control of the owner so it would go in the direction it was meant to go to be as productive as possible in the work it was supposed to be doing. So you put that yoke on an ox, or you put that yoke on a mule, and it would go in the direction the farmer wanted it to go. So a yoke was a piece of farming equipment that kept one under control and directed them in the work they were supposed to do. Leon Morris notes that in the New Testament, yoke is always used metaphorically and signifies bondage or submission to authority of some kind. New Testament scholar Craig Keener makes the, this a very similar observation. He says, a yoke signified submission to another's rule or authority. This is why it was very common for God's people under the old covenant to refer to the law of God as the yoke of the law. The yoke of the law, meaning God's people believed that they were called to live their lives under the yoke or the authority of God's word. 
to be under God's word was to be under God's rule. And this was the only way to live a life of human thriving and flourishing. The only way for a human being to thrive and flourish according to their creative design was to be under the yoke of God's law, under the yoke of God's word. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, there's a number of marvelous things happening here. First of all, Jesus is using this language to draw our attention to this very common reality for those who are under the old covenant. That Jesus is saying that just like you view the law, the Old Testament scriptures as a yoke, I want you to take my words as a yoke upon you. So Jesus is saying here to come under the yoke of his word is the same as coming under the yoke of the word of God. He's claiming that his words are God's words. This is yet another little window into the divinity, authority, and self-awareness of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Earlier in verse 27, Jesus identified himself as the only one who had the authority and the ability to reveal the will and nature of the Father. He said in verse 27, just a few verses earlier, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus has a unique ability and authority to reveal God's words because he is God. He is the Word made flesh. He is the apex of God's revelation. And so New Testament scholar Michael Green exclaims, as he explains, Jesus is quietly claiming to be the locus of all revelation. Whatever revelation there may be dispersed in human intellect and values and virtuous action in the history of humankind, the center of all God's self-disclosure is Jesus of Nazareth. He fulfills the hopes of the Old Testament and is the heart of all revelation. In a dark world lit by candles and lamps, he comes as the searchlight. Jesus is the searchlight of God's revelation. He is the living word. He is the word of life. He is the word made flesh. So to come under the yoke of Christ is to come under the authority of the word of Christ and to come under the authority of the word of Christ is to come under the authority of the very word of God. That's the picture. Here's the relationship. In order to come to Jesus and experience the rest that our weary, worn out souls desperately need. In order to come to Jesus and experience his rest, we do so by placing ourselves under the authority of his word. And that's made even clear, second, in this proposition, on the, on the second side of verse, this, this phrase in verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. The word learn literally means to learn through instruction. So to take on the yoke of Christ is to place yourself under his authority and instruction. 
See, Christ is so concerned that we don't miss his words. He's so concerned that we don't miss a, a single jot or tittle of all that he instructed us. That he, he embedded this in the great commission of the church. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all the things that I commanded. We need to know all the things that Christ commanded. And so we've been commissioned as a church to help one another know all the things that Christ commanded. His instructions, learning from him, is critical for so many reasons. But in this context, it's critical to us receiving the rest and the replenishment that we so desperately need. Maybe you're aware of this, but let me just point out what might be the obvious. During the incarnation of Jesus, he was constantly drawing the connection between in order to experience him, you must put yourself under his word. And the best sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said the following in Luke 6, 47 to 48. He said, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Notice again that relationship. Come to me, hear my words. Come to me, hear my words. When we come to Jesus and we place ourselves under the instruction of his word, Jesus says we're building a strong and stable life so that even when, when, the, when the difficulties and, and trials and temptations rock us, we'll stand strong and we'll make it because Jesus is our foundation. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask me whatever you wish and I will do it. So here's what this means for us today and in connection with this text. The primary way we come to Christ, the living word, is to come under the teaching of Christ through the written word. The primary way we come to Christ, the living word, is to place ourselves under the teaching of Christ through the written word. This is how we accept his compassion invitation. This is how we come to him. This is how we find rest for our souls. This is how we find replenishment. This is how we are renewed. This is how we are, this is how we are refreshed. We come together, church, and we place ourselves under the life-giving authority of the word of Christ. This is why the apostles constantly preached the word of Christ. This is why the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? Nothing more, nothing less than the explanation and application of the word of Christ. There's nothing that brings the church closer to, this, to the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ than the word of Christ dwelling in the church richly. And the same is true for us until Christ returns. There is nothing that brings us into closer proximity to the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ than for us to be filled with the word of Christ richly. So we come to Christ. We find our rest through the hearing, learning, teaching, singing, celebrating, and submitting to the word of Christ. 
So again, in connection with what we're considering in this passage, let us not miss that this is how we practically accept this invitation. This is how we come to him. This is how we find rest for our souls. This is how we find refreshment. We come together and we place ourselves under the life-giving authority of the word of Christ. In other words, sacred rest is found in Christ through the sacred text. Sacred rest is found in Christ through the sacred text. That's what this has all been driving toward. This is the big idea. Usually reveal it in the beginning and work through it, but here it is now. Can you see it? Sacred rest is found in Christ through the sacred text. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we come together as a church, at the center of all that we do on the Lord's Day, at the center of all that we do, Christ Church, is the living, breathing, authoritative, life-giving word of Christ. So we come together and we are driven by the sacred text. We are driven by the Holy Bible. We are driven by the very word of God. And so at every turn in our liturgy, what are we doing? We are incorporating the word of Christ into everything we do. We welcome you in Christ through the sacred text at the beginning of our gathering. We call you to worship Christ through the sacred text. We preach to you Christ from the sacred text. We sing songs that are filled with allusions to the sacred text. We partake the sacrament of Christ's supper with words of institution from the sacred text. And we pronounce benediction over you in Christ from the sacred text. The sacred gathering of the church is centered on Christ from the sacred text. So we receive his word, we read his word, we listen to his word, we preach his word, we share his word. And in the word of Christ, we find rest for our souls. Ray Ortland recently said in a podcast for pastors, quote, many people walk into church expecting a pep talk or maybe even a tongue lashing, depending on your tradition. He said, a cheerleading experience, perhaps. Exhausted, weary, defeated sinners don't need cheerleading. We don't need cheerleading. You don't need cheerleading. We don't need to come together and have you hear people say, you're awesome. What we need to do is come together and say, we are weary. Christ is everything. So when we come together on the Lord's Day, the best way we can serve you as your pastors is to make sure that every moment of this sacred gathering is drenched with the word of Christ. No gimmicks, no giveaways, no high productions, no smoke and light. Here's what we want to do. It's the best thing we can do for you. Pray for us that we are faithful to do this. We want to give you more Jesus. More Jesus, because that's what exhausted, weary, defeated sinners need. You don't need your ego stroked. You need Jesus. 
You don't need a challenge that tells you to work harder, be better, go get it. What you need is a word from the living Christ that says what's most important is not what you do, but what's already been done for you. What you need to hear is that your value is not awaiting you on the day when you stand before God and he tells you how well you did. Your value has already been secured by what Christ has done. You're not waiting for a grade. You got the grade. Christ earned it for you. And what you need more than anything, what I need more than anything, is that this Christ, that Christ, that crucified, risen, and ascended Christ ever lives above for you. You may be tired. You may be worn out. You may be struggling. You may be failing. But I've got good news for you. And this good news never gets old. And we need to say it every week we come together. Christ ever lives above for you. That's what I need to hear. That's what you need to hear. And that's what will give rest to our souls, will replenish us at the core of our being, and then send us back out in Jesus' name to face another hard, gritty week, doing it again for his glory, coming back together and finding that rest in Christ once again. See, this is God's kingdom calendar. This is his idea. We cease from our work like we're doing today, and we come together and we encounter Christ. And he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's why we're here today. We need Christ more than we need anything. And let me just be gracious and careful yet direct here. Why would we ever want to miss this? with few exceptions, be more important than us gathering like this on the Lord's Day? How could anything be more important than us coming to Christ together on the Lord's Day and to find his gentle and lowly heart giving us exactly what we need? How could sleeping in be better than that? How could Little League Baseball be better than that? How could anything be better than that? With few exceptions, we should never want to miss out on an opportunity to come to Christ together and honor his kingdom calendar. We need the Lord's day. We're here to give him the glory that he so rightly deserves and to receive the grace that we so desperately need. Kind of reminds me of what I experienced this last Tuesday. Uh, on Tuesday, our daughter Piper had a varsity soccer match. And so I got to play soccer dad, um, drive her and some of the kids to the game up in the Northeast. 
they're actually playing Northeast High School, and it was a grueling match. I mean, it was a slugfest. I mean, these girls were going at it. I mean, they were giving their heart and their soul and their energy to this match. They were doing everything they were coached to do, and this is varsity. These girls are good, so they're doing everything they're, 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 they've been coached to do. They're, they're passing, and they're passing, and they're shooting, and they're hoping to score, to score, but it just they kept doing it and doing it and doing it, and by the end of regulation, they had drawn a 2-2 tie. And so ties are horrible. You know, the difference between a tie and a win is like getting a kiss from your mom and a kiss from your wife. It's different. Okay, it's very different. Okay, kisses are good, but it all depends where they come from, right? And so there was a tie, but there was overtime. And so here come these girls, they come to the sideline, and I could see, I could see it written all over Piper's face. I could see it on the other girls. I mean, they were, they were exhausted. I mean, their faces were red, their sweat was dripping down, their, their hands were on their hips. I mean, they were, they were done. So everyone's quiet except for one person, the coach. She knew exactly what to say to her, to her players. She gave her talk. She got them charged up. They went back on the field. And in a matter of minutes, I mean, it worked. They scored the game-winning goal like that. Exactly, amen. At least it was, it was a good ride home. I'll, I'll put it that way, right? That's what we're doing here. Monday through Saturday, we're out there laying our lives down the pitch for King Jesus. We're working. We're expending energy. We're seeking to glorify him in our home, in our workplace, on our campus, and out in the world, in our city. And we're tired. And we come together on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. We're sweating. Our hands are on our hips. We've barely made it here. And Christ knows exactly what we need to hear. He speaks to us. He cares for us. He replenishes us, and he sends us back out to do it again. Sacred rest is found in Christ through the sacred text. So, here's one of our welcomes. I close with it. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, and to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus, the friend of sinners. And when we come to him, here is what we find. Rest for our souls. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.